we must be very uh, careful with information we, we share with uh, our audience because our enemy can be everywhere and they can use our words against us. Nobody knows uh, who can use this information against uh, military doctors, against just or just feel our weak points. I don't know. It's war. Welcome to Journal Spotting. Worried about the effect that the awful war in Ukraine is having on their doctors and healthcare system? Want to hear their experience firsthand and find out how you can help? Your ears are in the right place. This is a general medicine podcast that will bring you a monthly roundup of the top practice changing articles along with specialist interviews, guidelines and more. We scour the journals so you don't have to. We are the Journal Spotters. Welcome back to Journal Spotting listeners. You have tuned into War in Ukraine, Talk with Doctors. You may notice a couple of differences to this podcast from our usual format. For a start, you might notice the echoey absence of my usual co-hosts, who actually they usually do a fantastic job at vetting my terrible jokes, so apologies, they're not here. If you are looking to be updated on the most recent and important medical articles, go back to any one of our awesome roundups to learn and update your medicine. If you want to learn what climate change does to your patient's health and how healthcare affects climate change, check out the brilliant Climate Zone series. But if you would like to hear what the impact of this horrendous war in Ukraine is having on the doctors working there, the the cases that they're seeing, the impact on the healthcare system itself and the charities involved, listen on. I just asked for one thing in return. As this is a new series on journal spotting, we would love your feedback. Is this something you want to hear more of? Has it changed your practice or how you think about the situation? Message us on Twitter or journalspotting at gmail.com. We will link all the recommended organizations and charities into the show notes, so check them out if you want to help. Today, we start with Dr. Andre Semikhodsky, who sends ambulances loaded with bespoke medications and equipment to Ukrainian hospitals in need. Then we speak to the brilliant Professor Uliana Pedvalna, who will get you up to speed with the healthcare situation in Ukraine, the effect it is having on lives, doctors, relationships, and how the Ukrainian people are coping. We cover a whole variety of topics, some of them pretty hard to hear, and I'm sure you will find the conversations as valuable and truly inspiring as I did. Dr. Andrei Semikhodsky, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and helping us set up the podcast and this episode in its entirety actually you've been instrumental in it so thank you for your for your aid in that. Oh, you're welcome. How about we start with a little bit about perhaps your background, where you're from, what your job is, your role is, that sort of thing, and then could you go on and tell us a bit about your charity? Yeah, I am a molecular geneticist. And uh, I do medical genetics, especially involving with the IVF treatment and also forensic identification of humans and uh, crime detection. Interesting. Yes, I work uh, with uh, defense uh, barristers. Uh, when there's a case, they can like ask me, can I have a look at DNA evidence? Uh, against their client and we just take it from there basically 
And uh, I'm originally from Kiev, Ukraine. I'm Ukrainian, obviously, and <laughs> very, very patriotic because it's my country, it's my motherland. And uh, I came to the UK about 27 years ago. Uh, I came to do a PhD, and I did my PhD in the Centre and University of East Anglia in Norwich. I decided to basically to set up my own company uh, and uh, use technology which is available already, uh, at my knowledge, uh, to... Uh, offer people uh, DNA testing services. And how did you come up with the idea for the charity? Once Russia attacked Ukraine, like on the 24th of February, the first thing like, was, which was in my mind, how can I help? How can I help Ukraine? I start speaking to my friends in Ukraine. I have, obviously, because I'm Ukrainian, I have many friends in Ukraine, and ask them, uh, please tell me what, what, what do you need? And the first thing they said, uh, we need uh, some tactical medicine, first aid for soldiers, which which is actually quite different uh, from normal first aid kit because of of the nature of the trauma. Uh, Obviously, military uh, trauma is is very bloody, so you need to have equipment to stop blood quickly. Uh, So I asked my friends, and they said, we need this and that. Okay, I said, no problem. And we start trying, like using our own, little, little bit of our own money, uh, with my wife to buy something. Obviously, once you start looking, uh, you see that it's not as cheap as you think. Almost the same time, uh, my wife uh, in the our like our kids go to school. Obviously, and in the school group, she sent a link. So, like we are trying to help Ukraine. Like, is anyone interested to chip in? Like something like that. Uh, she set up with a couple of uh, her friends uh, uh, just give uh, link, and after she placed this little little advert, not, not an advert, like, like a, a text message in in a WhatsApp uh, school WhatsApp group. Next morning, there was already about four thousand quid. Wow! Yeah, great start. Yeah, it was like we were surprised that so many people all. all all nationalities, all the whole backgrounds, you know, like Russians, Ukrainian, you know, like people at school, they're like Chinese background, you know, Indian, doesn't matter. Wow, yeah. So we had £4,000 already. So we had money to buy uh, to buy equipment for medical equipment for tactical medicine. And uh, Aliyah, my wife, she uh, talked to some friend of hers and uh, she met, that friend mentioned that there's a guy, Ukrainian guy, Alexander, his name, who is buying ambulances and driving them to Ukraine. And we thought, okay, if the guy is driving ambulance to Ukraine, he may as well <laughs> take <laughs> our medicine and drive. So yeah. we gave him a call and start talking. And actually, we realized that uh, there's a need for ambulances. So uh, we managed basically to, uh, to buy an ambulance put all these equipment in, and a couple of guys uh, volunteered to drive uh, to Ukraine. So we drove these ambulances, and there the ambulance has been uh, taken over by volunteers, Ukrainian volunteers, and uh, they, they are in Kiev now. Wow, great. So we basically managed to do it, I would say, within a week, maybe maybe 10 days from the beginning of the war. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And then, obviously, what happened, uh, the money was coming. People, where we live, 
they were quite interesting. Why there are some ambulances <laughs> standing mm. near our house? I can like open and the people coming and going into the ambulances. You're bringing some stuff in and out. And they came to us and uh, we explained that we are collecting stuff for Ukraine. So they said, we, we want to help. So people start coming to our house with donations. All sorts of people, you know, there's the huge support. And uh, I was actually overwhelmed with support Ukraine has in the United Kingdom. It's like every, I was just driving home. There were U- Ukrainian flags on Whitehall. Yeah. That's actually, you look at it and say, blimey. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's incredible, the support. Mm. It is. The support is absolutely incredible. Support of the British people, you know, and British government is like, it's amazing, absolutely. So, uh, th- again, through, through our friends, start getting in touch. People who say that, like, we can help you getting medical equipment. And um, obviously, we start talking to someone from Guys and St. Thomas uh, uh, NHS Trust. Those people that said, we have something, please have a look. And uh, obviously, if you need, we will, we're going to donate. And uh, they were absolutely amazing donating us stuff for uh, hospitals. Like catheters, searches, for example, like Uliana asked us for searches specific for, you know, for the frontline hospital needs. And uh, these searches were donated by Guys and Ten Thomas Hospitals Plus. Yeah. So we are extremely grateful to them uh, for this. When you have money coming in, you have uh, a lot of donations. You just realize that, you know, you need to set up a charity because being a charity as opposed to a just given page, uh, you will have big donors who can donate big money as opposed to, okay, like 10,000, 20,000 because on just given, there's a limit. Like obviously setting up a charity, it's a uh, kind of, it's a process. It doesn't happen mm. in a day, but we are uh, in the process of setting up a proper charity now. Brilliant. But so far, I think we were, uh, thanks God and thanks to the people who donate, we were quite success successful because uh, we managed to send uh, to buy nine ambulances. Wow, brilliant! And send these ambulances full of uh, humanitarian aid, uh, medical equipment, um, and you name it. And also, uh, we contributed some money to other people who were buying who were buying ambulances. So overall. I think uh, like there's like what nine ambulances we bought with our own money, and probably another ten we contributed a little bit. So Andre, yeah, of course we'll put the links to the Just Giving page on our on our show notes. And how else can people find you? Um, actually, what, what is the name of the charity you're setting up? Yeah, uh, the charity called Medical Lifelines Ukraine. Currently, we are in the process of setting up a Facebook page and a Twitter account and um, uh, and everything. So it's a kind of like in the process. Perfect. As soon as they have those addresses, we'll put them on the show notes and people will be able to find them. Absolutely, yeah. Actually, Andre, you sound like you've had a huge success and what a whirlwind of an experience this must have been for you in so many ways. So well, congratulations so far on what you've achieved. Thank it's really, you. It's really wonderful. We're trying to do our best because uh, we live here in a very comfortable country, yeah. comfortable environment. We don't have, thanks God, rockets flying over our heads. And uh, a friend of mine in Odessa, she's a doctor. I was just she told me, I just saw yesterday a cruise missile flying 50, 50 meters over my head. Yeah. 
And this cruise missile hit a house uh, in Odessa and killed grandmother, mother, and a three-month-old baby. That's that cruise missile. And this is, I mean, when you read this thing, you're going to cry. And cry because how can it be in the 21st century? What for? Yeah. So we are trying to do our best because I know that people in Ukraine, they need much, much more. And uh, there are a lot of charities who raise millions and they're very good. There are a lot of Ukrainians like um, Andy Shevchenko, for example, or like Ukrainian singer Jamala. Uh, they raise millions of pounds and they just all for Ukraine. And we obviously, we raise a little bit, but we want to raise more because the more we raise, the more we can send help to Ukraine, the quicker will be our victory. Have you had much response about the ambulances? What have the people in Ukraine said? What have the doctors said? Uh, well, of course we had, because uh, that's what they need. And uh, they're, uh, they're extremely grateful. They're extremely grateful. They call and say thank you. Uh, for example, we sent an ambulance to Peromaisk, it's near Kharkov. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the head of this little town, he called us. He uh, It was on the news, you know, that he said that we collected ambulance from British, like, for, for, like by British people. And uh, we are so grateful. And there was like, in one newsreel than another newsreel. So they are extremely grateful. And uh, this is the least we can do because they need ambulances, for example, to get uh, people uh, from uh, even from the front line or they can use it to evacuate people. What happens now is that the Russians are shelling civilians. They're harassing civilians because this is this is their tactics. And uh, even when you don't have any military presence, Ukrainian military presence, they <clears throat> still harass people injured. Uh, they become like homeless, and you need uh, you need cars. You need uh, something to carry them around, basically. Yeah, incredibly useful resource which you are helping provide, and that's um, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, just out of interest, how long is the drive to Ukraine? <laughs> uh, well, it's not as long as you think. Obviously, we, we drive from uh, London to Polish border, mm. which is it's about 1,200 miles. Yeah. So it's like going to Edinburgh and back, probably, something like that. <laughs> Maybe a little okay. bit longer. Yeah. Maybe a bit longer, but that's, that, yeah. that's interesting. You're right, less than, less than I perhaps would have thought. Yeah. So basically, if they set up on Saturday morning, they will be on the border with Ukraine uh, about midday on Sunday. Yeah, not yeah. too bad then. And is there much risk? Uh, there's no, pretty much no risk until you go to, to the Ukrainian border. Basically, once in Ukraine, uh, there is a risk because the, the, they're shelling all over the country. Then in the areas uh, close to uh, to the front line, uh, there are some uh, Russian uh, units, special units, which are operating behind the uh, behind the front line, uh, who specifically target ambulances. So that is why we we've been there were cases that there have been cases where uh, ambulances were attacked, kid like taken from like volunteers, and even some people were killed or injured uh, mm. by the by, by the Russian uh, troops. 
so it is uh, dangerous, but uh, our drivers, they never go to Ukraine. Uh, they go to the border and uh, at the border or near the border, Ukrainian volunteers, uh, they uh, take the ambulance and drive it to Ukraine and then it goes to where it should go. Great. Well, that sounds like a fantastic system and it's incredible how much you've achieved and how, you know, the whole the whole process and yeah, just want to congratulate you once again, Andre. That's really, really brilliant. Every Ukrainian in the world, I think, now helps. Try to do his best or her best to help Ukraine. So whatever you do, I mean, if you can get donations, just they collect donations. If, if they can drive the car to the border, they drive the car to the border. Uh, and even like uh, President Zelensky said that someone is fighting at the front line. Someone is helping getting food ready for the for the soldiers or for the refugees. So everyone does his or her own bit to the common victory. Thank you so much for chatting to us. Thank you so much for helping us with with these contacts and fingers crossed, hopefully some of our listeners will be spurred on, will give you some donations or at least have a good think about what they can do to help in this crisis. So thank you once again. Thank you very much, Marmalee. Thank you. Dr. Uliana Pidvana, thank you so much for joining us to tell us everything about what's been happening for you, your experience, and your thoughts about this horrible situation in Ukraine. To start with, we often try and get allow our audience to get to know the um, the speakers. So, do you think you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your role in Ukraine, especially before the war, and any research you're involved with, and potentially what you like doing in your free time? Uh, hi, Bernie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your interest in Ukraine. Um, hello to everyone. My name is Ulana Pintvarna. I'm a medical doctor, obtained PhD and MBA. I'm an associate professor at Medical University in Lviv, Ukraine. It's a city on the west of Ukraine, and I do research on cardiovascular city. I write and review scientific articles, uh, translate, publish anatomical books and with my colleagues. In my free time, I like reading books. I like traveling as almost all people around the world. Very good. I saw a photo. I think it was on your LinkedIn. You uh, looks like you're in America. I was invited to the conference in um, Baltimore. It's close to the Washington, D.C. So it's the first time and the second time I was there close to Florida. Very nice. Great. For, your, for you personally, well, how, how has your role changed? Uh, I work at a medical university, and so we work uh, online. It's not um, untypical for us because uh, of COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, we were we, we had our classes online, uh, but um, you know, very often uh, our departments ask us to check um, our students where they are in Ukraine. Are they safe? And sometimes when you have a lecture, it can be air sirens. So you should go to basement and you should stop your class. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's terrible. That's why we try to move from the big cities to the smallest one, just to suburbs or just to the villages in the mountains, for example. 
uh, it's uh, safety and you have your own basement to go uh, also yeah. with wi-fi and you know it's uh, it's really it's not funny to say but um we we well organized we can have class even in basement because we have wi-fi there <laughs> and just wow. we, yeah yeah we are here so my house it is not like a um, typical i have a room where i have classes but i have the second in my basement with another router just to to have access for everything and do just to check is it safe to stay in my uh, home now just i should go away <laughs> so yeah. i don't know sometimes it's it's uh, it's sarcastic it's a black humor about besides this academic activities yeah i do research and I do research on cardiovascular city, as I told you. And I've started a fellowship, a review fellowship of European Society of Radiology. Um, and, you know, we try to do other routine work and not to think a lot about of war, but to do uh, everything we can just to make our victory um, earlier. And many other students, uh, almost all doctors, just almost all in Ukraine, uh, we uh, do volunteer work. We try to just prepare some kits or just to we coordinate some logistic processes because we receive a lot of um, humanitarian aid abroad. And I would like to thank you, all people around the world <laughs> for their big support in these difficult times. So I thank you so much for your help. Perhaps you could tell us about the healthcare system in Ukraine, how it usually runs. Obviously, we have the NHS in England. It may be a little bit different. You may have something similar. Tell us about that. Okay, just in general, uh, to describe the healthcare system in Ukraine, I'd like to start that um, Ukraine inherited the Soviet system of free public medicine for all. But reality turned out to be completely different. And it passed to build a new patient-oriented uh, healthcare service. So in late 2017, our Ministry of Health have started the healthcare reform. We have a National Health Service of Ukraine. The key of this transformation was to focus on patient needs. And the slogan was money follows the patient. So it means uh, the implementation of the new financial model of a healthcare system. Uh, this reform introduces family doctors and patients um, have a legal right to, to their own family doctor to change if they need another one. Uh, and primary care, palliative care, and just um, emergency medical care are 100% funded by the state. And besides, the state provides reimbursement for medicines, for uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, for some uh, respiratory diseases, and for endocrinological, for example, type 2 diabetes. So it's in general, I can't compare with um, another countries, for example, in the United Kingdom or with the USA, but we try to have sim more similar uh, system to you. So it took five years from late 2017 uh, so it has its own pros and cons as everywhere but it was better than it was before so we were on the right way <laughs> and yes yeah. was uh, pretty well <laughs> in ukraine <laughs> before 24th of february this year yeah okay so 24th of february obviously was 
um, when everything changed. What happened to the healthcare system when invasion started and the war started? What do we have after Russian invasion in general? Uh, we have um, Russian occupation forces have hurt the civil population. Uh, they murder, they rape, even children. Uh, they kill, and more than 200 children were killed. Uh, the number is growing up, and during our conversation, I think they are killing um, children and uh, civilians. Russian troops kidnapped over 120,000 Ukrainian children. I'm not sure if they have access to medical care. So the inventors shot at medical institution, um, especially maternity hospitals with pregnant ladies, with newborn. And this precisely attacked medical emergency teams. Russia, they do not use uh, international law and they use weapons against children and women. Uh, yeah. People on the occupied territory by Russian army, they, they suffer from a lack of medical care because they don't have it. Medications, even food and water. People are forced to stay in basements or some shelters for dozens of days. I heard about people who were in shelters for 50 days. So wow. supplements are running out and Russian blocked almost, uh, they're blocking just right now, almost all desire for a green, just a humanitarian corridor. Just yeah. can, you, can you imagine they just shot evacuation buses of civilians who want who wants to go away from this territory who wants to go to ukraine and to have access to let's say normal life yeah. <laughs> another big uh, tr tragedy is a huge scale of sexual violence rapid women and children uh, and they have mm. suffered at the hands of russian soldiers you know, you know i can't cope with it because it's terrible. And a commissioner of human rights in the Ukraine, in, in the Ukrainian parliament, so in Ukraine, uh, reported shocking facts. And I checked um, many sites in the United Kingdom, and I think you are familiar with it. About 14 years old girl who is pregnant. Come on, <laughs> is it 21st yeah. century? <laughs> About um, lady. Uh, who also who is suffering from Russian soldiers and had child uh, was forced to see it, uh, and so it's a it's a big tragedy I think. And Ukrainians who sought to rescue arrived uh, to the non-occupied, let's say, peaceful part of Ukraine. Uh, they come to us in terrible condition they need and receive appropriate treatment. They, these people, they receive uh, treatment they need. Uh, but hospital on the peaceful territory, uh, peaceful land are overloaded with a lot amount of patients. And also we have some additional, let's say, mobile hospitals for internal displaced people. So, you know, because we have refugees who go abroad and internally displaced people who come from another part of Ukraine to the more call, let's say. And every day, more and more adults and children need medical assistance. 
soldiers on the front line need emergency medical aid and so everything is tended. <laughs> yeah. In in the healthcare system at the moment, let's go back to that. So do you, what sort of cases are they seeing? You're saying they're being overburdened. Do you have an idea about um, what type of cases, medical cases or surgical cases they're seeing? Um, is there anything in particular or is it just pure numbers of everything? I have a lot of colleagues who are on the front line. Uh, they are sergeants. Uh, I would say, the, for example, I have two good friends. They are cardiac sergeants. It's people who are members of European Society of Cardiothoracic Surgeons who visit um, all annual meetings, who are fluent in English, <laughs> Polish languages. So they're really uh, smart people. They do um, bypass surgery, aortic and mitral veil replacement, uh, transcatheter aortic replacement, endovascular procedures, um, surgery on aortic dissection, uh, so bental procedure, etc. So they are really good cardiac surgeons. And but in this difficult times, in the time of war in Ukraine, they were successful at their hospitals. They had really good positions and they go to the front line to help our soldiers to stay alive. And when I have a conversation with them, it took just one or two minutes. Describe me that situation is really difficult. They say it's a genocide of Ukrainians. They have yeah. a lot of people with complicated injuries. Uh, when they told me, for example, uh, about chest injuries, injuries in the chest cavity, abdomen cavity, all extremities, guys, mm. <laughs> so just close your eyes and imagine some American films uh, about war and... Um, we can predict what can be caused by the rocket or by the fire, and they see it every day. And especially these days, uh, Russian attacked, uh, um, attacks are more uh, often on the east uh, border of Ukraine, in Donetsk and uh, Luhansk region, and they've, they're working around the clock. Mm. Sometimes I can't understand how do they cope with it, you know? Mm. Yeah. It's, it sounds it sounds absolutely awful, of course. Um, and so they are they are dealing with most of the, the trauma, the the, mm -hmm. the trauma and the surgical side of things. And like in any disaster like this, there is the obvious or not not obvious but you know there are the the victims of trauma of you know the, the, the guns and the bombs and the fires and all these sorts of awful things and yet there is everyone else as well and in any at any time there are people who are unwell and need medical help for a whole number of things for chronic diseases for acute conditions and and they need they need help as well and uh, you know are are your hospitals coping with that the ones which aren't seeing the trauma are they are they coping with these unwell and chronic disease patients 
so uh, just let's divide here. Yeah? As a first, um, mm-hmm. there are soldiers, yeah, and military doctors. Uh, they are working with soldiers. They uh, give them uh, necessary surgery at the first stage, and after that, uh, our soldiers are evacuated to the, another hospital far from the front line and just uh, close to another uh, to the worst part of Ukraine. Uh, the second part is the civilian patients who come to the peaceful territory. And yes, they have a lot of chronic diseases. Uh, they also have trauma. They have uh, any diseases <laughs> as I in the world. So that's why uh, hospitals are overloaded. But a lot of patients were evacuated to another countries also. For example, children with cancer. They were invited mm. to the to Poland, Italy, uh, oh, a lot of countries, almost in Europe. In Europe, uh, they were invited for treatment uh, to to save their lives. Even I heard from my colleagues uh, who um, works in the uh, children's hospital for rare diseases and for oncological patients. They evacuated uh, a lot of patients to uh, cancer hospital just to have more uh, time to pay attention to people from another uh, cities. Okay. I didn't. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that. That's really interesting, and it's amazing what can happen with you know a bit of willpower and a bit of help from abroad. I think that's um, that's fantastic. But I, I suppose it only is a it's only helping a very small number, isn't it? When there's still so many people who need help. How are the the resources in the hospital? Uh, do they have enough medications? Do they have enough rooms? Do they have enough water? What you know, how, how how are those sorts of things? Um, oh, no, while doctors are fighting on their front, um, mm-hmm. our mission is to provide them with everything they need. Uh, therefore, certain medicines, medical goods and consumables are needed today in the hospital in the frontline regions as never before. So, of course, we had a lot. <laughs> but um, Russian, as I told you, they uh, caused damages to um, infrastructure to medical, uh, to apotech, to our storage, to our hospitals, etc. So um, everything, just everything we have, <laughs> is running out very quickly because we have a lot of injuries, how a lot of wounded people. At this difficult time, the medical system is in need of resource uh, support. Uliana, as far as resources. In things like food, are you seeing much in the way of malnutrition in Ukraine? Do people have enough in the way of food and sustenance? Um, I think we should uh, divide it, it into two categories. The first one, the people who are uh, on the western of the western or central part of Ukraine uh, who are not suffer from uh, Russian occupation, who are not suffer from bombing a lot. Uh, mm. So, yes, we have enough food, water uh, in shops, we can buy it, so everything is enough. And also, I would like to uh, pay attention that Ukrainians do not buy a lot these times, because if I typically buy, for example, two uh, packs of bread, so now I 
by only one because I know that someone also in need. So that's why I would just pay attention to the uh, logic of Ukrainians. They think not about themselves. They uh, they think about people around them. And it's also a very nice feature I realize because after Soviet Union, uh, when it was the lack of uh, food, uh, especially mm. some good food, um, it was typical, the big lines, maybe, you know, just to stay for hours to receive your milk or something something like that. And these days, I see how Ukrainians rebuilt their brain and they understand that uh, I should buy only what I need this in this period of time. And also we think about our neighbors. For example, earlier, if I go for shopping, just I simply go. These days, I ask my neighbors, guys, do you need something? Because I go outside, just tell me if you need something. It's also, it's very lovely, you know, just we, we, became, more, we became closer with each other because we have the same enemy and we should organize ourselves just to stay strong. Uh, but another part of Ukraine who suffer from shelling and bombing or who under Russian occupation, temporarily Russian occupation, as they, they can stay uh, at shelters for a long period of time, as I told uh, in the beginning of our talk. So, of course, they are running off, out of food, water, and likely I, I'm not in their shoes uh, because I don't know how it's to count in your mind how much water do I have, how much water can I drink, and especially when you have child close to you because each swallowing of water can be your last one. And it's terrible just to think about it. Uh, but when I read in news, um, when I watch interviews with people who returned to Ukraine from Russian, uh, from occupied territory, and they told uh, that they have only one liter of water, one bottle of uh, water for five people, and uh, how do they cope with it? So it. Uh, I think malnutrition and lack of food is present on those territories. It can't be in another way. No, that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. And, and at least it's a relief to know that that you, the people who are um, not under the occupied territory, do have at the moment sufficient food and and um, and resources. Uh, it's been something which has come up recently uh, is the the impact of uh, the war on international. Okay food. And I think this is something that you, you, you knew a little bit about. So yeah, Juliana, t- tell us a little bit about that. So, uh, just a few days ago, I uh, read two articles in Nature, uh, in the Nature journals. Um, and the title was the Act Now Before Ukraine War Plunges Millions into Malnutrition. So, and I think many people all over the world uh, didn't know that Ukraine is a big wheat exporter to the um, to other countries, and we are on the f- first fifth place of uh, export sunflower oil. For example, my mm. friend from Germany, they told me that 
they do not have oil, <laughs> sunflower oil, uh, on the shelves in the shops. Uh, I hope it's the situation only in one city, um, but I received such such information and I share with you. And um, I would say the impact could be catastrophic for some of the world's uh, poorest and most vulnerable people. And I read in this article that more than 26 countries in the world, they... Um, they will suffer from the war in Ukraine because Ukraine is also agriculture country and we produce a lot of wheat and sunflowers. Uh, so we send it, we export it via sea. And Odessa, it's a big port city, Mariupol, uh, they are occupied or does they uh, suffer from shelling or bombing and we cannot export wheat. We have it. So we can share with people who are in need. Also, we can we have enough wheat for us in the time of mm -hmm. war. And we can export as it was before. And just uh, for example, a few minutes uh, rely on Ukrainian wheat from 50 to 100% are for countries for Egypt. And Egypt is 102 million people. Just imagine. Mm. They fully rely on Ukrainian wheat. Uh, yeah. Senegal, 16 uh, million. And Somali, also 16 million. Just I checked it before our conversation and it's shocked. It's shocking facts, yeah. you, you see. So it's not only the war in Ukraine and malnutrition in Ukraine. No, it's around all around the world, especially in poor countries. I think the impacts from this war are are felt absolutely everywhere. And as you say, um, as is always the way with these things, the, the poorest, the people most in need, the people who don't have the, the resources already are usually the worst, worst hit. And um, it's just another reason, isn't it, why this war is so devastating for so many people, for so many millions of people. Yeah. Okay. Are you getting much in the way of resources from other countries? I know we will talk to Andre as well on the podcast. And he, for instance, he's bringing over ambulances with um, medications and equipment. Is there a, a lot of that aid coming in? Yes, you're definitely right. That's why I would like to thank you, to thank once more <laughs> um, mm -hmm. for all people. I would like to thank you for your support, for your voluntary help, supplements, uh, donations. Also, we have a lot of um, medical staff who, who come to Ukraine. Many volunteers uh, come to us. So thank you for it. Uh, I would like to thank you for the lectures and educational resources uh, which are free for Ukrainians right now. So if we have some questions about uh, trauma, we can just go to the online platform and we can uh, find uh, the appropriate decision because we have free access. And uh, it's also very f useful for many um, doctors. Besides this, uh, your help with medications, ambulances, even uh, cars to transport people for logistic um, aim, I would like to thank you for the songs, meetings, football matches, concerts, uh, everything uh, people of the world uh, 
they you do for us because you stay on the side of good and i would like to thank you that you see where is a good side and where is the bad size the side excuse me <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it's very important and you know sometimes um i feel so disappointed what will be next uh, sometimes we are tired simply tired because uh, you have work you have your um, duties uh, some at home for example uh, you try to um, do something uh, for our um, patient for our soldiers for our army and you're thick and tired of of all of this and my colleague um, from the usa he wrote me just send me a picture with a big humanitarian aid <laughs> uh, with mm. he and his colleagues uh, collect to ukraine and he tell me told me you know there are a lot of people who support you they stay strong we will help you <laughs> so that's why it's really important and we received a lot of support from from the outside from other friends I think that's right, Juliana. I mean, I think there's been a huge, huge support. We, we see it in England all the time. Um, and there are numerous charity events and there's lots of Ukrainian flags just dotted around when you go around the towns and it's the people are on are on your side. And you know, going on from that, do you have any the people listening when I when I ask some of my colleagues, you know, is there anything in particular you'd want to ask you? Um, and Everybody. One of the questions which everybody came up with it was, "How? What can we do? What What could we do to help?" And do you have any suggestions for them of where where the help is needed and what they could do or where the money can go? Yes, uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> um, the Ministry of Health have just created a priority list of medicines, medical goods, and consumables that healthcare institutions uh, primarily need. Um, also, a Ministry of Health announced um, the hotlines for those wishing to provide humanitarian assistance for Ukrainians, uh, healthcare workers, or support the Ukrainian military and territorial defense fights. Uh, there are um, a number everyone can call and just to say, "Oh, I, I would like to go to Ukraine to help you." And anyway, we have also um, other colleagues ask us. Uh, what do you need? For example, I ask my friends on the front line, what do you need right now? And they just send me a list of uh, items. Uh, I send it to my colleagues abroad or just try to uh, find it um, somewhere else. It's difficult to find in Ukraine, in Poland or in mm. Germany because Ukrainians uh, buy it very quickly. <laughs> and um, if we have resources, we try to, to organize ourselves. Uh, but anyway, if somebody wants to support us, there are official um, foundations. And I would recommend you to trust uh, them, to trust official accounters, just to send a donation there. And also you have a charity 
fundraisers in your own countries, you know those people, you can trust them. So you can send the special items to the special team in Ukraine, to the special team of sergeants. Because uh, you see uh, some sergeants, they are vascular sergeants and they need the specific needle, specific, specific size of needle. Um, and another team, they have more uh, trauma, more, more orthopedic uh, doctors, and they need, for example, this, that, um, devices to, uh, for bone, bone scratches. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why it's very good to have precise list and to send to the precise uh, team uh, who needs it. Lovely. And actually, what we can do is after this, we can get the any links um, to these sites or anywhere which you recommend, and we'll put them on the show notes so that our listeners can can find them, and we easily find them and click on them, and so they know that they're you know, trusted sites and um, organisations, which would be brilliant. Great, thank you. Liana, you, you did you know, listen to this a little bit before. Um, obviously, it's been very difficult for everybody, you know, um, for everybody um, globally, but especially, of course, for the people in Ukraine. How how have you been coping, and how have your colleagues been coping? It's difficult, really. Uh, the first uh, two weeks, um, it was difficult to do anything else, just only checking news. Um, but after um, some period of time, uh, we clearly understand that it's our war and we should um, fight <laughs> in any way we can. So if you can uh, treat, please treat your patient. If you can write good articles, please do it. Uh, if you are a member of some scientific uh, organization, please write them a letter and describe the situation. Um, if you work in IT sphere, please do not go to the front line because you can't do it. Uh, um, so you, sh- you can earn money for your military. So that's why uh, I would like I would like to to say that Ukrainians understand this point that you should do your work on your site, not go just to fight and just to say thumbs. No, just do what you can do, because um, if everybody will go to the front line, we will not we will not be able to have resources. Sort of knuckling down and having. You need your own um, your own goals. Stick to what you're good at, and actually doing all of these things are important. You know, all of these things because the country needs to keep going. And if everyone just stopped and, as you say, and went to the front line or or left, then then there'll be nobody left to do these things. So I totally understand that. Yeah. And do you find that your way of coping is um, your work <clears throat> is an important method for you to to feel like you're coping? Is that is that important to you? I think this is the best option is to do what you can do the best. Um, mm. If you are a mother of three child, of three children, you should take care about your children because they are Ukrainians and you should take care about them. If you are a business lady, you should think about your business and to support our army. As for me, just, yeah, I cope with it in the same way as I told you. 
I do, the work mm-hmm. I can do. And besides my uh, university work, just I try to organize my friends uh, abroad. Just guys, uh, we need this one or that one. Uh, some please help me with logistic. Or can you find this portable uh, ultrasound? <laughs> so and you know in yeah. in 15 minutes, many friends can tell. Oh, I'll send you. <laughs> they send me your address. Uh, it's really wonderful. Fantastic. And so, and uh, if I um, found the things my colleagues on the front line need, I'm really happy because I know that I do what I can, uh, what I can to to have our victory uh, earlier. Uh, If you can just, uh, if I help my neighbors just to bring them some food and they are happy, I'm also happy. Because I know that they are safe. And also my husband, he's on the front line. He's a military doctor. And uh, I'm sure when my family, our family, um, is in the safety place, and when we are healthy, he can do his work perfect. But when our daughter, she's one year old, when she was Mm -hmm. ill, and I was ill. We have a fever, 39 uh, degree. And the first day, I didn't tell him about it. After a few days, I told him, you know, we were ill. And he told me, oh, I can't just... He thinks about us for, for a long time because he's nervous about us. That's why I see I should also take care about our daughter. And he will be... Mm. he will keep calm while doing surgery. So yeah. that's why it's very important uh, not to disturb our uh, army, not to disturb our soldiers, our military doctors with our troubles. <laughs> and mm. if you can somehow to leave your city, to go to the safety place in the some house in the mountains, please do it. Leave your house to people who need it, who come f- to Lviv from Kyiv, Kharkiv, Zhitomyr, Mariupol. And we really, we share our houses for people who are um, temporarily come to uh, western part of Ukraine, and just uh, to internally displaced people. Um, something like that. That's lovely. Okay. And your, your husband... Um... I understand we, we we weren't able to speak to him because I think he wasn't allowed to give an interview, which I totally understand, of course, because he's on the front line. Um, have you been able to, to see him to um, recently or since the war started or or not? No, not. For two no. months, I didn't uh, see him. But no. uh, special thanks to... Um, uh, messengers different kind of messengers mm. we can see uh, each other online uh, it's very helpful because you can uh, not only uh, hear his voice and um, you can see his eyes and you know i see how many patients he he had these days because i see if he um c- calm or just if he's stressed a little bit if he had um, difficult cases or no. Um, and, you, you know, before the war, 
he uh, was uh, he has black uh, hair of course with some white <laughs> but <laughs> uh, just a few weeks ago he was um not at hospital but close to hospital uh, under the sky and i see white sky uh, white with clouds and i can't identify his uh, hair because yeah. it's totally white wow wow gosh and i yeah. see these wrinkles between eyes and i understand he didn't uh, he haven't had it hmm. he didn't have it before before the war so um yeah. i can understand how stressful to cope with these injuries um, how you should think um to manage the step of your operations because you know if you're a sergeant in the hospital you have scheduled operations scheduled surgery you can uh, predict complications yeah you can you have an access to um, diagnostic tools modalities and so everything is planned is planned yeah but if you have a soldier with many uh, injuries uh, i'm not sure i will be able to help uh, them because i'm not sure if i could think so fast to make a right decision um, so i'm not sure so that's why the military sergeants they do a brilliant uh, work and i really I thank them for saving lives, for saving extremities for, for patients, because we have a lot of young um, soldiers, 20 years, 25 years old. So they're young people. After the war, they will return back homes, home. They, they have wife or girlfriends, or uh, they have their mothers, and they can't be just um, disabled they need yeah. their extremities to to work to walk and just to have a normal life it's very important just to um, to give them the right uh, surgery just to make a right decision yeah and am i right your husband he was not a military doctor before mm -hmm. um but he obviously he he is now and does he talk to you about how he is he is coping and is he coping with the the stress? You've already said that his hair has gone white and you can see that he's stressed. Is he coping? Mm, I think yes. Yeah. Um, I think yes because we love our country, and yeah. we. Uh, I remember history from my grandma. Uh, from my grandparents about Russian invasion during the Second World War. Uh, I remember what she said about terrible actions they did on other lands. So it's mm. not um, it's not some news. What the, it's not something new what they are doing on other lands. I don't yeah. know why they hate us so much, but the they do the same they have done for years. They kill, murder, rape, etc. So uh, something like yeah. that. Uh, that's why uh, we want to live in freedom. 
we want to live in freedom country. Uh, it's maybe difficult, it's maybe terrible to say that um, I don't want peace. I want peace, but I want peace in the freedom country. I don't want yeah. peace under Russian occupation. Sorry, no. Because it can't be freedom when we have Russia close to us. That's why uh, I think my husband, his colleagues, almost all of us, we understand that we should fight not to be raped by Russian, not to be martyred, and not to be killed at our, at our home. Unfortunately, we should go to the front line to protect us, to defend us. But my husband tells me, I protect you and our daughter. And that's why. And when he see, um, sees our daughter and she's crying, daddy, daddy, <laughs> and mm. she's singing for him, she's dancing for him, he's smiling. And I see it's... Um, I think he coped with this uh, while having a family, having a um, city he loves, having country he loves. And um, Ukrainians, we are people of freedom. Uh, and um, I saw a very nice slogan um, on the images from the, uh, from the United States of America, from New York Metropolitan, uh, with... I think um, I knew what uh, brave is, but later I see Ukrainians. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, very true. Yes. Yeah, so. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Obviously. It's, Liliana, this is, you know, these are difficult things to talk about it. So thank you for being so open about it and, and discussing it and, um, you, it is giving us a good idea of what what you are feeling and what Ukrainians are feeling. And I think that's so important that we all understand that and really understand where your where your bravery comes from, the way people in Ukraine think and and for us to understand why you're fighting so strongly. And it's, it's thank you basically for telling us about that. Thank you. To finish off, what are your thoughts and hopes potentially about the future? Uh, I'm very optimistic. I am realistic, but I'm very optimistic because uh, we should think more positive <laughs> about it. Um, so everything has the, its beginning and everything has its end. So when I, I like a book, uh, The Art of War, Maybe you heard about it. So mm -hmm. it's extremely useful uh, book these days. And uh, when I analyze our situation and Russian situation, I see that um, we have many advantages to win this war. But we must stay strong. And nobody knows when it will finish. And it's the most difficult to understand that you will not return back to your normal life in one day, in one week, or even in months. It can, or even in one year. Nobody knows. So it's a real war, and 
it's difficult to understand that in 21st century, one day you can feel that there is no safety place. Uh, everything you have done uh, for your career, for your family, you can just, you should leave your home, you should leave your work, <laughs> you should leave your hobbies because you have not, you are not able to travel and you are not able to, for reading books. You have no time for it. You can't enjoy fully your life you had. But anyway, uh, I know that we are fighting to have it in the future. And we should do everything we can to stop this Russia invasion in the future, to predict it. I see as long as Russia is on the on the earth, <laughs> uh, mm. many countries will be suffer. Not only Ukraine. It was in uh, Georgia. Uh, it was in um, Syria. It was in Afghanistan. In many countries, uh, from 1991, when um, Soviet Union was uh, divided. Russian have military acts in many countries. So I'm not sure, but maybe it's our mission, our aim just to stop, to stop them finally. I don't know. Well, yeah. Sometimes I, uh, I try not to think about it, just to do my routine work. <laughs> because if you are, I'm talking with you and I deep inside it, I see, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And thank you though. Thank you for allowing yourself to talk about it and think about it because I can very much imagine just trying to get on with day-to-day -day life, taking care of the kids, doing your work and trying not to think about actually, you know, what is, what is happening and the, you know, because there's too much to think about almost. Yeah. It's wonderful to hear how well, determined and optimistic you are. Is that common amongst your friends and colleagues and Ukrainian people? Or are you an eternal optimist? <laughs> In, I would rather say it's more common. Because um, when I saw photos in the internet, on the internet with people who return back to their uh, home houses, um, houses with without doors, houses without windows, oh, just only walls. People return back to their homes, and the first thing things they do, they feed animals, uh, because no, not all people were able to take the animals with them. Uh, the second, they plant flowers and plant trees. So mm. it's the main idea you should know about Ukrainians. Everywhere they are, you can see they have nice, it can be very small, teeny tiny houses, but with flowers around, with trees. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, we like it. And that's why I think, of course, we have our up and down. Sometimes we are very optimistic. Sometimes we are just very depressed. 
it's normal. Um, but we tried just to have a conversation with other colleagues. Uh, really, we have a big support from from our friends, colleagues, from people from uh, all countries, all around the world. And it's really, it's very inspiring. And sometimes when you think that you are in the lack of sources and your friend, as you see on the internet, when Metropolitan Opera think Ukrainian anthem, oh, wow, I stand up <laughs> and I do, I go to do what I can to do this to, to help because those people, they are far from Ukraine, but they do what they can to support us. Barney, you are in your free time, does you have a conversation with me? <laughs> it's also very inspiring that you are interested in other problems, that you want, you want to support us in any way you can. So it's really very, it's very touchable. And sometimes just I'm crying when I saw how people just support us. That's wonderful. Thank you, Ileana. Yeah, um, and it's. Uh, I think that's really important for us to understand that our support of you, even if we're far, far away, but and even if it's as you say singing the Ukrainian national anthem, wearing the Ukrainian flag, these sorts of things, it sounds like that actually, that is helping. And I think for Ukrainians, knowing that the world, or a large, large proportion of the world is with you, I think uh, that's wonderful to know that that's helping. Yeah, thank you for helping that. your morale. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, just, I'm very grateful for all people of the world. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for standing with Ukraine. Before we end, is there any last messages you'd like to give? To, and you've, you've said a lot and maybe maybe there's nothing more to say, but is there anything else you'd like to say to, to the people listening? Any messages for the world outside Ukraine who might be listening? Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for standing with us. Thank you for standing with Ukraine. We will stay strong and we will fight, and we will win. Amazing. Thank you so much, Juliana. That's really fantastic. Thank you. It's been inspiring speaking to you. It really has been, honestly. It's been a wonderful conversation and really useful. And I think um, I'm sure there'll be a huge number of people who'll be really interested in hearing what you have to say. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Barney. Really, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for you do for us. Well, listeners, that is the end of our conversations. I really hope you found them valuable and, and interesting. They have helped me not only understand the situation in Ukraine, but the enormous impact it is having on people's lives, in particular, our medical colleagues. And more than that, I feel I gained insight into why Ukrainians are fighting so hard and with such passion. They are proud, they are determined, and their wonderful optimism is truly infectious. Ukrainians are united against a common enemy against whom they believe they can win with our support. And you know what? That optimism is clearly rubbing off on me. 
You have been listening to Journal Spotting with your host, Dr. Barnaby Hirons, and special guests, Dr. Andrzej Semikowski and Professor Uliana Pedvarna. All links from the show can be found on the show notes. Please get in touch with your thoughts, and if you want to hear more of these episodes via our website, journalspotting.com, on Twitter, at journalspotting, Facebook, or Instagram. Special thanks goes to St. George's Healthcare and HEE for their generous grants. If you like today's podcast, subscribe and leave a review. If you have any other feedback or questions, get in touch via our webpage or email us at journalspotting at gmail.com. Disclaimer time. This podcast is for educational use only. The views expressed are opinions based on our experience, experience of our guests and the evidence we read. We are not affiliated to any particular institution. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use the information we share to make decisions on how to treat your patients or yourselves.